0: Last week we came to the end of the book of Jonah, and this morning, as TJ said, we come now to the book of Nahum, and my hunch is this morning that this is going to be like you've never heard Nahum preached before, (laughs) because if you're like I am, you've never heard Nahum preached before. Uh, or taught before, and that might be the case. Maybe you have, and uh, if so, I'd like your notes, because I, I would like some help with this. Uh, no, I, I'm coming to, uh, to appreciate this book, this little book of three chapters, uh, which is really the sequel to Jonah. We'll come to that soon. Before we do that, though, reflecting back on Jonah, Jonah was sent by God uh, to represent God, And to give a message from the Lord, which ultimately was a message of salvation. As he went to Nineveh, which represented the kingdom of Assyria. And he said, God's going to bring judgment on you. And they repented, right? They exchanged their clothes for sackcloth. Uh, They exchanged any adornment with ashes on their heads. And said, uh, we will choose to fall before God and we will run to God. Was the choice that they made. With that in mind, uh, I want to this morning remind us, like we did two weeks ago, of some of those wonderful children of God who are falling after God outside of our country, uh, many of them, some here, who are serving as missionaries like Jonah did. But I think these ones are not kicking and screaming like Jonah did. And I want you to see and be reminded of. All of the different people and agencies that we support as a church. So that we are praying for them. Amen? And that uh, if the Lord puts them on your heart, you pray for them. You might want to encourage them even just to send them a note. Send them an email. Uh, whatever it might be. So uh, we're going to go to our back to our website again. Like we did two weeks ago. And uh, at the website... What you'll do, okay, well, we'll talk about it. Can we get that on there? Uh, you go to the website, and you uh, there, there are a bunch of options to, to click on, and the one that you'll click on is Ministries. Oh, there we go. Thank you. Sorry, it's not back there. And after you, you click on Ministries, then you go down to the bottom, and you click on Missions, Global Missions, and after you click on Global Missions, the second button to push is Mission Agencies. And Mission projects, so two weeks ago we talked about the the family units that we support, so now I just want to remind you, or maybe maybe uh, help you to know for the first time what some of the wonderful agencies are projects that we support so here we go so we 'll scroll on down the first is friends to Cuba, and that 's uh, our brother Bob Beer here who doesn 't uh, go to Cuba so much uh, now but has been able to pass on that ministry and uh, this group has been given favor in Cuba, which is just incredible. So let's continue to pray for them. Morning Star is just down the road, and uh, that is a, a wonderful ministry that helps people in need and uh, helps people to, to get close to the Lord and shut off some of the things uh, that aren't needed so that they can take on the mantle of Jesus. So, uh, and, and Carmen also goes uh, particularly to Africa, uh, and does some teaching there wonderful wonderful work that's done by morningstar all right next is drug treatment court and betty brazo who's part of our church uh she goes downtown and this is a this is a an activity or uh it's it's not really a ministry but it's a program that helps people to get over their drug addictions and uh and then there's a great celebration every time that somebody uh, has come through the program. And, and Betty goes, Betty and Rick go, and they take a celebration cake for whoever graduates from the program. And that's how we help out just a little bit as a church. And uh, what an encouragement the Brazos are with Drug Treatment Court in Kitchener. Uh, Pan Missions, uh, Wyn Ross, who used to be the chair of our global missions team, uh, has a connection with Pan Missions. And they'll they uh, they'll do some wonderful things like, I believe, uh, crafts and sewing and those sorts of things. And we'll send those things on down to Central America. I believe it's Central America. And uh, to help some people who do not have nearly what we have. So bless them, Pan Missions. The next one is uh, Village of Hope. And Dan Schantz uh, has been involved with this. Uh, I, what I know about it is that it's, uh, it's in Africa, And some wonderful ministry. Dan has been involved in that. And Dan is also uh, really good at clearing snow. (laughs) And so when you come here on Sunday after it snowed and you see that the snow has been cleared, uh, you know that Dan was here with his tractor and his massive snowblower. So bless you and thank you, Dan. Uh, Evergreen Christian Ministries, that's the camping ministry in Ontario of uh, the Evangelical Missionary Church of Canada with a camp at Stainer and a camp up... At Round Lake, at Mishawaka, fourth week of family camp at Mishawaka, uh, we encourage you to go if you can. Uh, book a place. We'll be a number of us will be up there as a church. Right? Fourth week of fourth week of family camp at Mishawaka. Then team challenge. Uh, most of us have probably heard of team challenge, a powerful ministry. Again, that helps to see people delivered, but more than just delivered, but also discipled. Uh, and Freedom from, from Addictions, located just south of, of uh, London. And there, there's a women's ministry at Aurora, I believe, of Teen Challenge 2. Uh, African Christian Mission, the Colossians are involved with that. And uh, we actually had a, uh, a, a few of the, the brothers and sisters from Africa were here a few months ago that we were able to see. And uh, churches being established, people being discipled, God is doing great things in Africa through that mission as well. And then Pamir Ministries, uh, this is one of those ministries that is to, uh, uh, it's confidential, what do you call them? It's It's one of these ministries that's sensitive, a sensitive area. So we won't give many details about that. But what I will tell you is that I know from this ministry that thousands of people have come to Jesus through the ministry uh, that they're involved in. So praise God for that. Is that it? Is that the last one? There it is. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. And again, uh, please be praying for all of these. And if you want to know more about them, you can hop on our website and, uh, and have a look. Also, out in the, uh, at the end of the hallway, you go out into the foyer and walk to the end of the hall. And there is a big beautiful quilt of the world back there that was uh, made primarily by by Wyn Ross and with some help from others. And we are asked if you have ever been on a mission experience somewhere in the world that you go and uh, you get a pin and put the pin where you went. To be an encouragement to say, look at all the places that people from Wilmot Center Church have been. Okay, and uh, if you can't find the pins, I'm not sure where the where the pins are kept. Where's TJ? Okay, perfect. So check in at the welcome center if you want a pin to put up there, and and uh, just be an encouragement to each other about where we've been, and uh, let's anticipate that we'll go somewhere again. Amen. Uh, You as individuals, us as a church, to continue to take the good news of Jesus. Well, coming to the end of Jonah, we're coming to Nahum. And uh, I'm reminded that every game, every sport has rules, right? And uh, rules are meant not to be broken. (laughs) But rules are meant, what are they meant for? They're meant for order. And they're meant for fairness, right? And so then if, if, uh, if I break a rule or rules are broken, then there are consequences, whether it's football tonight uh, or whatever it might be. Let me give you another example. I, I umpired baseball for about 15 years. And uh, there were plenty of times when I would make a controversial call, not, not a, a controversial call that was based on a rule in the book and, and not just like calling somebody safe. And then I would encounter, I encountered lots of people over the years who loudly assured me that they knew the rules better than I did. (laughs) Without actually saying so, and without probably ever having held a rule book uh, in their hand, but they knew better. Uh, Let me give you this example, not from my own personal experience, but a number of years ago there was a heartwarming advertisement on TV. And I don't even remember what it was about. But the story went like this. The plot was, it was, the, it was like the bottom of the last inning. It was uh, some, some young students playing, probably around 12 years old, uh, maybe younger. It's the bottom of the last inning. There are two out, bases are loaded, and the home team is out in the field. So they got to get this last batter out in order to win. So uh, our focus of attention goes to center field, and there's this Young boy out there who's quite shy. Actually, he should have been in right field, but he's in—he's in—he's in center field. Um, and and he's timid and, he, and he's shy, and he's our focus of attention. We'll call him Billy. Ball's pitched, batter hits the ball, and of course you know where it's going to go. Goes out to Billy, and Billy freezes for a moment because uh, apparently he doesn't catch the ball very often, which is why he shouldn't be in center field, but. In any event, what he does immediately when he sees the ball go up, after he freezes, he turns around, throws down his glove, and he starts running after the ball. Isn't that what you do? So he's running after the ball, and of course, everyone in the stands becomes a little bit discouraged because he's dropped his glove. But what he does is he runs, and brilliantly, he takes off his hat, sticks it out, catches the ball, and the fans are euphoric. They're just thrilled. Because he won the game. Third it out. No. That's the problem. So there's a rule. It's in 5.06 of the rule book. <laughs> and the rule states basically that if you detach a part of your uniform, that would be like your hat, probably not your shirt, but if you detach part of your uniform like a hat, And you even touch a ball. Never mind catch it. You touch the ball that's been hit. It's an automatic triple. That's right. If you go after to try to catch it and you touch the ball trying to catch it with your hat, it's it's supposed to be an automatic triple. If it's a thrown ball, it's only a double. If it's a hit ball, it's a triple. And that would be the reaction of a lot of people when I heard somebody say, What? <laughs> Wouldn't you hate to be the umpire who had to make that call? Because all those little league parents who know the rules better than the umpire does, whoo, they would just be fuming because Billy just won the game. No, he didn't. Even if the majority of people at the game are certain they know better, it doesn't change the fact that the rule is the rule. It doesn't matter how loudly they scream, how much stuff they throw, the rule is the rule. Oh, but they're just children, don't be so hard on them. Or how can you make that call when Billy, Billy made such a break? You're, gonna, you're just going to devastate them by telling them that this child is out. Well, you don't devastate him. You do it the other way around. You're going to devastate the other team, right? There is a book that makes clear what the expectations of the game are. And it doesn't have to be a book. You can get it as a online as a PDF. So when people argue about what has been shared in the book for everybody to know, they complain from lack of knowledge, right? They complain from ignorance because they're not well enough acquainted with the rules and again even if the majority of people say otherwise it doesn't change the rule now judah and israel were learning this judah and israel this is the divided israel kingdom uh, after king david there was a song his son king solomon and after king solomon came the split of the kingdom, into the lower, basically one-third of Judah, uh, but but very small uh, population, and then the upper two-thirds of Israel. And they were both learning that despite warnings from the prophets and from God's word, they did what they wanted to do instead. Instead of running with God or to God, they were running their own way, which is away from God. And at the time of Nahum, Nahum comes along, About 130 years after Jonah. So you see, Nahum becomes the sequel to the book of Jonah. And when Nahum comes along, the northern kingdom, the larger part of Israel, known as Israel, had already been overrun by Assyria, the capital of which was Nineveh. And the southern kingdom of Judah, which is where Nahum was giving his prophecy, was now about 60 years away from its fall, because it too would fall. It would fall to Babylon. Like Jonah, outside of this book, we don't know anything about Nahum. And God sends this prophet to remind not Israel or Judah of what's going on for them, but at this particular time, God is speaking through Nahum to Nineveh. And when we left Jonah, the book of Jonah ended with the city of Nineveh repenting. Now, I'll show you that slide again of a chronology of the Old Testament prophets. So you can see that Nahum comes sometime after Jonah, like roughly 130 years later. Jonah would have loved the sequel. Uh, there's some, there are some people who said me, "Yeah, you know, I read ahead. I read ahead, and I read Nahum, and Jonah would have been excited about the sequel because of what happened." But the first time that I learned that Nahum was actually a sequel to Jonah, I was I was saddened. I was disappointed. I was, yeah, I was bummed for Nineveh because things had looked so good uh, after Jonah went and spoke to them. So today, we meet that sequel. Nineveh had been running to God. They had fallen on their faces before God and said, we don't want God's wrath to come upon us. And so they repented. But all it takes is one or two generations. And in this case, uh, it would have been more than that. It was several generations. And interestingly, our nation is... I'm afraid to say on a very similar path and it's not a political statement uh, it's a spiritual statement to say that the evidence for us and Canada is, is how old? Canada's 152 kind of a similar age all it takes is a few generations to say no, we've got a better way uh, we don't need those old religious superstitions that have caused a lot of harm over the years by the way And we're going to do things by ourselves because we can do just fine. Thank you very much. You just keep your religion to yourself. And uh, we'll all get along just fine. Uh, Jesus has called us to do something else. Amen? He hasn't called us to be arrogant. He hasn't called us to be boastful. He hasn't called us to be rude. But he's called us to be loving, kind, like he was to us. And to be unafraid to speak the truth that Jesus taught. Because Jesus taught that our lives will be like a house built on rock if we hear what he taught and obey. Those are the conditions. Uh, Otherwise, it's like we're building our lives on sand. Nahum actually will sound pretty harsh. Uh, And it's the kind of book that hardly ever gets touched. Most of the Old Testament prophets don't get touched much because they're pretty harsh. Uh, But it's truth historically and it's an important warning for the present and for the future just as it was for the past. So I'm going to read for you uh, this passage, Nahum chapter 1 verses 1 to 14, the first chapter of the book of Nahum. A prophecy concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. Let me just pause there. This is an oracle. This is a pronouncement. This is a prophecy. Or literally the word is, this is a burden. Isn't that an interesting word? This is a burden. It's not a happy message. And it's one that the Lord has given to Nahum that he is compelled uh, to give about Nineveh. It's also a reminder about God's character, God's power, God's justice. And truly, this is a reminder of God's love. Because God's love includes the need to discipline, just like that of any parent, right? And we must not, we cannot ignore the fact that we can actually tick God off. Are you okay with that? A lot of people are not. My God never gets angry, some might say. You got a pretty messed up God then because when we behave very badly, somebody should get annoyed. Uh, Somebody should get sad. And and there need to be some consequences. So let's carry on from there. The Lord, here's the good news. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds and the dust, of his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. Uh, God is not just a one characteristic being. God is filled with love. He is patient, uh, but He is just. Desiring that people would turn from running away from Him and rather run to Him so that we can run with him. And there may, might be no better example than Nineveh about how Nineveh did both at different times. God created from the chaos. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and it was void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And from that darkness or that chaos, God created. And the reference to the, the, the parting of the seas, the parting of the water and the drying of the, of the riverbeds, that's what God did to the Red Sea. It's what God did to the Jordan River in order for his people to pass through miraculously. And Jesus could stand up in a boat and say, Peace. Be still. When I get worked up, I get worked up a lot more than I used to. Um, Not because I work here. (laughs) But because of grief. I, I, I often repeat the words, Peace be still in the name of Jesus. Just over and over and over and over again. And the Spirit just so graciously ministers and brings, helps to bring things down and to give hope. Abashem, Carmel, Lebanon were mentioned because they were beautiful, fruitful districts. The cedars of Lebanon, vegetation, great forests. And so they're mentioned here that they will not be that way after the Lord is done. With what he will do, not that he wants to do it, but because he's responding to the desires of those who have chosen to run away from him. The next verses. The mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence. The world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure the fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. There are many people who would say, and I completely understand it. You know, all of this talk about God being in the wind and God being in the rain, God being in the storm and the lightning. You know, we know, we understand that now because science tells us how they all happen. And I want to offer from the bottom of my heart, it's not either or, because they can live together, amen? What we would declare is that the source of all of these things, whether it's the wind or the rain or the lightning or the storm, the source of of all of those things which can be explained by physics, the source of that is the all-powerful Yahweh. Amen? And there are times when there are inexplicable activities in the sense that, oh, we didn't see that coming, even though physics could describe it. Say, is that not the hand of the Lord? And God, who has created all of this order, yet can miraculously step in and do something outside of that order as only he can, like he did with the birth of Jesus, like he did with the death of Jesus, like he did with the resurrection of Jesus, like he did with the parting of the Red Sea, like he did with the parting of the Jordan River. Along with the order that he has made possible that we can explain with good science. The next verses. The Lord is good. The Lord is a refuge in times of trouble. you say amen to that? Amen. He cares for those who trust in Him. He cares for those who trust in Him. You received that this morning? He cares for those who trust in Him. But with an overwhelming flood, He will make an end to Nineveh. He will pursue His foes into the realm of Of darkness. This is a prophecy that's being given to Nineveh. After Nineveh has conquered. The northern part of Israel. Known as Israel. And he's saying. Yeah you did that. And I let you do that. Because my people needed to be disciplined. But you're not going to go without discipline too. Because you don't follow me either. And so that would be coming. And that's why God. Is making this. Clear, Nineveh's strength was misplaced. Nineveh, Nineveh trusted in itself. An overwhelming flood is symbolic of an invading army. And for a time, Nineveh had experienced the light of God. They had humbled themselves by God, but later had rejected it. And darkness is a metaphor for judgment, even eternal judgment. Uh, We carry on. Whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end. A trouble will not come a second time. They will be entangled among thorns and drunk from their wine, and they will be consumed like dry stubble. I do not want that ever said about me. Is that a little bit frightening? That's the kind of awe and reverence that we must not forget to experience before God. Praise His name. We have so much to give God praise for. We need to just keep praising Him. And there are times when we need to remember Wow, God, you are beyond anything that I could possibly be, you are powerful. You are amazing and you are to be awed and revered and worshipped. Nineveh had become proud and arrogant. The the city was prosperous. But they felt they were invincible like a hedge of thorns. They felt secure enough that they could just eat in their gluttony, drink in their drunkenness, and nothing could touch them. But what is clear is God gives this message to them and says, no matter how secure you might think you are in yourself, when you oppose me, then I must oppose you. From you, Nineveh, has one come forth who plots evil against the Lord and devises wicked plans. That was a a leader by the name of Sennacherib. And if we went into uh, into the history in, in 2 Kings, Isaiah was a, a prophet. Sennacherib threatened uh, Judah. And the Lord pushed back. And this, I believe, is, is who's being referred to here, is Sennacherib. This is what the Lord says. Although they have allies and are numerous they will be destroyed and pass away although i have afflicted you judah i will afflict you no more that's all in the future tense because judah will also be taken captive by babylon and god says you need to experience some discipline but it will not last forever because you will once again turn back to me and then you will again be blessed Now I will break their yoke from your neck that Nineveh, that Assyria, is putting on Israel. Yoke like what we keep two oxen together and keep them uh, walking together. That yoke which is like sitting in the bottom of a, of a ship and being all tied together and rowing together. He says, I will break that and tear your shackles away. The Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the images and idols that are in the temple of your gods. I will prepare your grave for you are vile. That is harsh. But it's true. God had used Assyria to carry out his discipline. And then he would also give the discipline that was needed for Syria. Nineveh was actually so completely destroyed that uh, people in the future, like Alexander the the Great, didn't even know where to find it. There would be no line of descendants. Nineveh's grave was dug in 612 BC, and it's mentioned in Ezekiel 32. God's word came to pass. If you're afraid of discipline, and I will tell you that I am, I do not want major discipline from God. Nobody likes discipline. I did not like discipline from my, from my dad. Remember that God is the author of your life and God wants the best for you. Amen? God doesn't, I believe God does not get a kick out of discipline. He doesn't do that because he derives joy from it. He derives joy from blessing. And he disciplines out of necessity. God finally said to Nineveh, enough. And Nineveh teaches us that God is not quick to anger and judgment. He allowed Nineveh to do what Nineveh wanted to do. But after much patience, he would say, you've made your choice. Receive your chosen destiny the choice to not submit to god is basically rebellion and that's a hard message for a lot of people to accept to accept that if i if i choose if i just choose that i say i believe in god but i'm, I'm actually not gonna not gonna follow god that's rebellion it seems kind of soft, uh, but it's still rebellion. God reminds us in Revelation 20 that He is the judge who one day will hold every person who's ever lived accountable for their deeds. That includes you and me. We will be held accountable because that's how He will establish His kingdom based on that. But your salvation to be in His kingdom. And with him for eternity will not be based on your works, but will be based on our decision to give our lives to Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that that we won't be assessed, because we will be. Jesus said that. But when we have committed our lives to the Lord and are genuinely desiring to follow after him, there is absolutely no need for fear of the wrath of God. There might still be discipline, but not fear. Let me invite the I want to invite the, the servers uh, forward and, and the, the musicians and ask, uh, ask this question. We've asked a question over the last few weeks and one more slide. And uh, to ask uh, this question today, uh, what is God saying to me that I need to be saying no to? So for a few weeks we said, what is God saying to me that I need to say yes to? What do I need to be saying no to? I'm just going to tell you very quickly. When I was in university in London, I, went to, I took a train to Montreal to see some friends at, friends at McGill and to go watch uh, a production at uh, Olympic Stadium. And I was not following the Lord. I knew better, but I wasn't following the Lord. I visited my friends at McGill, got on the train, started coming home, and man, oh man, the Holy Spirit spoke to me so incredibly profoundly, and he asked this question to me. Do you want to follow me, or do you want to follow yourself? Are you going to live for yourself, or are you going to live for me? And it hit me like a brick wall And I knew I needed to choose. And that's partly why I'm here today. That's the path that God put me on. But I recognized at that time that there were some things that I really needed to give up. I needed to stop. And chief among them was my penchant, just as anybody has, for control of my own destiny. But rather to say to God, no, I need to submit to you, Lord. And I need to make that decision. Is it all about me? Or is it all about God? Will I live for me? Will I live for God? Is there anything that God would be saying to me or to you today that we need to say no to? That we need to set aside or we need to choose in the strength of the Holy Spirit not to pursue? Now having said that, we remember Jesus today and we want instead to live out that decision to follow after Jesus rather than ourselves i want to read just these few verses from first john chapter 1 please be encouraged by this this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you god is light in him there is no darkness at all If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and don't live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You say amen? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But if we claim we haven't sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. If you have never done that, please do it today. Or if you need to come back to that place to say, "Uh, Lord, I I just need to, to restore that relationship with you, that's been off. Oh, may it be today as we remember him and the power of his blood and what he did for us.